So I'm hoping that there's lots of boys and girls out there, hopefully even as many as we saw on the screen just now, hundreds and thousands of boys and girls all across Colchester, Essex and the world. So if you're out there, boys and girls, make sure you're sitting in front of the, in front of the screen right now because I want you to go and find in the recesses of your pocket a little container looking like this, okay? If you haven't got it, mum and dad may put sold it safely because it's quite potent stuff. Okay, and get this little container, put it in your other hand, under the lid, put the lid somewhere safe, and get this cream and make sure you put it all over your face. It's very good, okay, when people get older, it helps to moisturize as well. It's not the primary purpose of the cream, okay? That's the idea. Then get the lid, put it on nice and tight, and put it back into the recess of your pocket or your sock or somewhere else on your anatomy where you can secrete a small container. Because you have just applied imagination cream. And imagination cream helps you to imagine. And I want to tell you a story today, a kind of maritime salty story, okay? And the story begins with a character called Tug. He enjoyed his job, as he loved life on the ocean wave, with the fresh smell of the sea and the ocean under his bows. He also enjoyed the company of his best friend Fish, who was an old fishing boat that lived in the harbour for as many years as Tug could remember. Fish and Tug were very good friends. And one morning as Fish chugged back into the port, his hold very full of fish, the seawater lapping over the sides, watching his old deck. Puff, 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 he chugged as his worn-out engine strained to pull the load ashore. Eventually he reached the quayside, and his crew began to move his catch ashore. And as they did, as they did that, Tug chugged up beside him. Oh, I'm getting too old for this job, puffed Fish. Look at me, I'm so full of fish, but it's taking all my effort to stay afloat. Rattle me rivets. One day my owners will just put too many fish into my hold and I'll sink to the bottom of the sea without a trace. Don't talk like that fish, said Tug. It makes me go all shivery to think about sinking. But it's true, snapped Fish. Rattle me rivets. We may love the sea, but neither of us are getting any younger. I mean, my rivets are all corroded and my deck is starting to warp. Many an old ship has sunk beneath the waves. Never to return again. Lost forever at the bottom of the sea. It will happen to all of us one day. You mark my words, Tug. You mark my words. Perhaps, replied Tug. But, uh, but it doesn't do us vessels any good thinking about sinking. I mean, I would rather concentrate on staying afloat. Yes, yeah, staying afloat. That's all that matters. Tug shivered and went off to tow a large liner that had just entered the port. The next day, the docks were alive with whispering. During the night, a new boat had been towed into the bay, a very strange-looking boat. And all the other boats just stared at it rudely, muttering to themselves. What on earth is that thing? said one. I've never seen such an ugly-looking boat, said another. Your ships are certainly not what they used to be, said a third. Hey, what's up? asked Tug, when he saw fish among the other boats. All the boats are talking about this new ship they brought in last night, replied Fish. He does look a very strange fish, a very strange boat indeed, said Tug. Where's he from? Nobody seems to know, said Fish. No one's ever courage to speak to him yet, although there is a rumour he's from the Navy shipyard, and that has just been built. 
Well, let's go and talk to him now and find out more, said Tark. And he fired up his motors and chugged over to where the new boat was moored. Ahoy there, me shipmate, called Tark. And he came alongside the new boat. My name's Tug, and I'm a tugboat, and this is Fish, my friend, who's a fishing boat. But we've not seen your type around here before. Where are you from, and, and, and what kind of boat are you? I haven't been given a name yet, said the new boat sadly. As I've only just been launched. <laughs> I don't even know what I am and what I'm for. All I know is that I am a boat. Well, that's a start, said Tug. And there's no reason to be sad. In fact, <laughs> this is all very exciting. I mean, just think of all the possibilities. You could be a tugboat like me, or a fishing boat like fish, or you could be a passenger liner, you could be a ferry, a pleasure cruiser, even a battleship. The list is endless. At this, the new boat began to cheer up. And a smile even flickered across his bows. Well, Tug, it said, you and fish take a good look at me and see if you can guess what kind of boat I am. So Tug and fish took a good long look at the new boat to see if they could work out what kind of boat he was. The problem was, the more they looked at him, the more they discovered that he had a very strange shape indeed. It was nothing like they'd ever seen before. He wasn't high in the water like a normal ship, but low and very, low and very long. He didn't have lots of round portholes like a liner. In fact, in all his long body, he didn't have any. In fact, he didn't have a big mouth to let in loads of cars like a ferry. He didn't have loads of nets and baskets like a fishing boat. This new boat was a very strange boat indeed. Both Fish and Tug tried all their hardest to figure out what kind of boat he was, but they just couldn't imagine what he'd been designed to do. Uh, said Tug nervously, I'm sorry, but uh, we can't imagine what kind of boat you are, but don't let that worry you. We, me and Fish will be your friends whatever you are. That's very kind, said the new boat. Thank you. So Tug and Fish told the new boat all about the docks, all about the other boats, and all about the sea, including the stories about sinking ships and never coming back. Oh, shivered the new boat. Do you mean that if a boat sinks into the sea, it never comes back, it's never heard of again? Yup, said Fish, enjoying his story. Roll me rivets. If a boat sinks into the sea, that's it. David Jones locker. <laughs> There's no more boat, no more sailing. You just sit on the bottom of the sea, rattling and rusting away until nothing's left but seafood. What a horrible thought, said the young vessel. Well, don't you worry about it, said Tug. I'm not going to let that happen to you. Not for a long time, anyway. You're a young boat, fresh out of the shipyard. You've got years of sailing ahead of you. And while the three of them were talking, suddenly a blue lorry screeched beside the dock. And out of the back of this lorry, there were lots of sailors, and they all began to rush aboard the new boat. And they began to hear a humming noise as the engines inside this new boat were fired up. Oh, hummed the new boat, but perhaps now we're going to find out what I'm for. And suddenly, as the, as the engines fired and a blue cloud of smoke appeared above the engine's vessels, the sailors began to loose the mooring ropes. And the new boat began to sail out to sea. And Tug and Fish and some of the other boats began to cheer the new boat and wish it a wonderful maiden voyage. Some of them even began to, to, to sound their foghorns. Goodbye, little boat! They cheered, bon voyage!
The whole harbour was filled with noise when all of a sudden something terrible began to happen. The new boat, this wonderful new vessel fresh out of the naval shipyard, it began to sink. It sank slower, lower and lower into the water until the sea itself began to wash over the sea decks. No, cried Tug. He fired up his engines to race beside the sinking boat. Hold on, little boat. Don't sink. <coughs> Excuse me. Keep your head above the water. Whatever you do, keep your head above the water. I can't help it, screamed the new boat. I'm sinking and I can't help it. The new boat disappeared. Lower and lower it went into the waves until eventually it disappeared completely. All that laid on the surface of the sea was a few lonely bubbles. I don't believe it, said Tug. I don't believe it. How could a new vessel, a vessel only just built, sink into the sea? How could this happen? I don't know, said Fish. I don't know, it's, it's terrible. He'll now rot on the bottom of the sea and become nothing but a rusty old hulk. Tug and Fish and the other boats looked at the empty sea, with tears running down their salty brows. The new vessel was gone. Well, it was three days later when Fish woke up in the morning, and having collected his crew, he began to head out to sea, to the fishing grounds, to begin a day's fishing. He hadn't gone far, when he began to notice something very strange happening in the far end of the harbour. Directly in front of him, the water began to bubble and to foam. Fish began to get very scared and rushed back into port, shouting at the other boats, Rattle me rivets! Rattle me rivets! There's a monster just outside the harbour and it's blowing bubbles and making the sea go a funny colour. <coughs> what are you talking about? <gasps> Yawned Tug, who'd just woken up. What's all this fuss about? Look over there, cried Tug. That was cried fish, pointing to the sea in the middle of the harbour. But there's nothing to see except sea, said Tug. Rattle me rivets, don't you see the bubbles? asked fish. Oh yes, said Tug. And sure enough, in the middle of the harbour, the sea began to bubble and to foam. Whatever can it be? It's a sea monster, screamed fish. Oh, don't be silly, said Tug. There's no such things as sea monsters. And then something was seen just moving beneath the surface of the sea, and something began to come out of the water, a very strange shape indeed. It wasn't high in the water like a normal boat, but low and very long. It didn't have lots of round portholes like a liner, but in its long body it had none. It didn't have loads of nets or baskets like a fishing boat. It was a very strange thing indeed. It was the new boat. But it sunk three days earlier. It had returned from the bottom of the sea, alive and well. When the new boat was on the surface of the water, it steamed up to Tug and hooted a big, Ahoy there! I don't believe it, said Tug. You sunk three days ago. How could you come out of the sea? You should be on the floor, rusting. I know, said the new boat. But I found out what I am. I'm a submarine. I can go under the sea and come back again. Isn't that great? You don't need to fear the sea anymore. Tug, if you sink, I can sink too. I can sink down to the murky depths of the deep and rescue you. You must never be afraid of sinking anymore. As I have returned from the bottom of the sea, my name is Sub. 
And from that day forward, all the boats and ships of that little harbour were never again scared of the sea or of sinking because they had a new friend and his name was Sub. We're going to turn now to a fabulous account of the first Easter Sunday. Mark was the executive assistant of the Apostle Peter. So we're going to go to Mark's Gospel, chapter 16, and read from verse 1 following. And really, it's important we pay attention to this account, the eyewitness account of Peter recorded by Mark. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they may go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him, who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to the two of them while they were walking in the country. They returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. We thank God for his marvellous word to us this morning. And earlier on, boys and girls and everyone else who are watching today, we had a story about a new boat, an unusual boat that no one ever seen before, but sunk into the sea and yet rose again. And when it returned, it brought the message that you never need to be afraid of sinking again because the submarine had conquered submerging, had conquered sinking. But the ships didn't need to worry ever again about sinking because the sea had been conquered. 
And early on the morning of the third day, after the death of Jesus, some lady disciples of his went up at first light, just as the birds began to sing their chorus, to go to the, where the body had been laid, to do that one final act of, of worship, anoint the body of Jesus with special ointments to treat the body before they put it back into the tomb. But when they got there, when they got there to that, 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 that place where the grave was and the huge stone that they worried about moving because it was so large, they discovered that stone had already been rolled away. And as they ventured inside that dark, dark area, that dark cave, they discovered in the far corner a solitary figure, an angel. You know, when we talk about angels, we often get very confused. And I know that some parents like to refer to their little daughter as my angel. Because they, they're, they're wonderful. They shine and, they, and, 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 and some children are particularly very good. I wasn't an angel when I was a kid, myself personally. But some children are very, very good. And, and parents refer to them as their little angels. And yet, that doesn't actually represent what the word angel means. Angels aren't perfect beings in, in a sense that's not what they're there for the word Greek word angelos literally means a messenger in fact your postman who's been working ceaselessly over the pandemic delivering your mail and your Amazon boxes and all the rest of it your postman is more of an angel than your children because he is a messenger he brings a message and they discovered this messenger had a message for God and the message he said to them first of all was this he said don't be alarmed don't be alarmed now, that's a strange thing to say you go into a place where you're expecting to find a dead body and you discover some huge figure glowing in white and that figure says to you don't be alarmed I remember the first time I, I was, did scuba diving I was in Egypt I was in the middle of a we'd have a rest period we're doing a desert run around the Sinai desert in 1999 and we had a couple of days off in right beside um uh, uh, right beside uh, the Sea of Tiberias and we were able to go and do some scuba diving and our instructor said to us he, he says right this is how you put on your gear and what have you and one of the one of my fellow chaplains raised his hand and says what do we do if we find a shark and the first thing he said to us was this he says well if you find a shark don't panic and I thought, how do you manage that? And the problem is, you see, if you're in a scuba diving and you're underneath the water and you begin to panic, you begin to breathe faster and you consume the air in your oxygen tank. And that's more dangerous than actually even meeting this man-eating creature called a shark. And it's very easy for an angel to say to these ladies, don't be alarmed. But the message that God had given him to give to the people was this. Don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. You know, it's strange because this, the, the, this angelic figure was so scary that when we read about it in Luke's account, we find that even the soldiers got a massive dose of the wobblies. They literally froze and couldn't speak. They became like statues in the face of this angelic figure. And yet the message of the angel to the women was this, don't be alarmed. Do not be afraid. Why? Because they come to a place of death and they discovered not death, but life. The angel says, he is risen. In fact, one of the accounts, the angel says, why are you looking for the dead among, uh, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus wasn't there. He wasn't in the tomb. The tomb was empty. Jesus had risen again. 
he was alive. And far more than simply being alive, as Terry read from us earlier on, Jesus had conquered death. But those who believe and follow him don't need to fear death anymore because Jesus has been down to the depths and he's come back. He's come back. And then he gave, the angel gave the ladies a command. He says, but go and tell his disciples and Peter. It's interesting that he separates the disciples and Peter because Peter denied Jesus. Peter had let Jesus down. Denied him not once but twice before the, crow, before the cock crowed three times. He denied his saviour. So the angel was specific to say, go and tell the disciples and Peter. This is good news for the disciples. This is good news for Peter. Jesus is alive. You know, some people ask, well, how can you believe that? How can you believe that? Because this happened 2,000 years ago. It's just a story. It's just a myth. It's just Christianity. is just a religion like many religions. Well, the truth is, if that was the case, I wouldn't be a Christian. I certainly wouldn't be a minister. See, many years ago, many, many years ago, when I was a young man, and you can tell by my hairs, my gray hairs, that was a long time ago, many, many years ago, when I was a young man of 19, serving in Germany in the Royal Air Force, I met someone. I met Jesus, or more to the point, he met with me. And one night I knelt beside my bed in my room and I invited Jesus Christ into my life. And I began to follow him. And he brought a sense of purpose and joy that led me to leave the Royal Air Force, that led me, in fact, to train for ministry, that led me eventually, after nine years in regular churches, to go back into the army for 21 years. I followed him because... He is my best mate. He is my Lord. He commands my life. He led me to meet my wife. Jesus Christ is alive. I don't follow a, a, um, a dead religion. You won't find in this building, in Colchester Baptist Church, a statue, something lifeless figure. Jesus is alive and he lives in me and he lives in those who believe and receive him into his life, into their lives. Jesus is alive. And the messenger, the angel, said to, said to the lady, says, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. You will see him there, just as he told you. The reason that these women believed and carried on following Jesus was because he met with them again, as he promised. And the reason that you and I know Peter, not as some person who simply denied Jesus, but we know him as one of the great leaders of the early church, was because he became a great follower of Jesus because he met with Jesus again, or Jesus met with him again, as the other disciples. That's the way, reason we believe. It's because we meet with him in the present day. In 2021, we meet with Jesus Christ. You know, the incredible story about these disciples is this is that we see them fearful. We see the women being more courageous and braver than the men in this whole story. These fearful disciples who fled him in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter who denied him several times in, 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 in the courtyard of, of the high priest. These fearful men became emboldened, not because of the doctrine of the church, but because they met Jesus Christ. Because they, he met with them and he transformed them and he showed them that the message was true. And that's the reason I'm a Christian. 
It's not because I like the doctrine of the church, although I do. It's because I know the Lord Jesus Christ. And, in, and when I follow him, I experience the presence of Christ in my life, the joy and the power of that reality. It doesn't make me perfect. I'm certainly not an angel. Talk to my wife, she'll tell you that. But I am a messenger. I'm a messenger in a sense like that angel. I carry the message because God, uh, uh, because each one of us who believes in the Lord Jesus becomes an angel in a sense that we carry the message of the gospel, the good news, because people need to hear it. Right now there are people tucking into chocolate eggs and chocolate bunnies and they think that's all that Easter's about. When the last taste of that delicious chocolate melts in their mouth and becomes a distant memory, Easter finishes. Well, not for me, not for the people in this church and those who follow the Lord Jesus, because Jesus remains in our lives and gives us hope and power. So even in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of death and uncertainty, we have a certainty. We know that as Jesus died and rose again, his power, his resurrection power is in our lives. And if we die, we will rise again with him. That's not a, that's not a myth, that's a certainty. That's why I could join the army and and serve uh, several times in Iraq and several times in Afghanistan because I know the Lord Jesus. You know, many years ago, before I went back into the army, I had a good friend of mine who was a climber, very experienced and gifted man. And I've always been a bit afraid of heights at times, which is strange to have him him, um, enjoying mountaineering. But I remember we went up to the Lake District and he took me on a free, uh, a free pitch climb called Pavia's Ark. Beautiful day it was. And it was a glorious climb, but quite a scary one for me who was not very experienced. But what took the fear away was the fact that John, my mate, he was an experienced climber. He'd been up and down Pavia's Ark many times. He knew his ropes, his knots. He knew the handholds to go for. He could guide me up this face. And as we stuck at the first pitch and we began to pull our ropes up and begin to plan our second pitch, and he went ahead and belayed me up, I had confidence because of my relationship with him. I knew he was a great climber. He was a very experienced climber. He was training to become a mountain guide. He was a really experienced man. I knew he'd been up and down. I believed in him because of that relationship. That relationship gave me hope, even in the face of danger and possible death. That's the same for the Christian. We believe and celebrate, not because of our doctrine or because of the the Bible, while we we believe in the Bible, it's because of that relationship, that connection that gives us hope. The disciples, all of them, they carried the message into the the first century and and Christianity became a universal belief and faith because each one of those disciples met with Jesus Christ because he rose again. And that's the reason why Christians sing, oh, happy day. It's not because we just love singing. It's because we have a connection with Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is alive. And if you're scared of death, if you're scared of sinking into the abyss, if you're scared of what could happen in this pandemic or beyond, or simply because of the mortality of life, because you know your body is getting older, if you're scared of death, the best person you can meet with is Jesus, because he has conquered death. Let me encourage each one of you to read this passage, this wonderful passage again from Mark 
chapter 16, to take seriously those words because every one of those words is true. And God's message for you today is do not be alarmed. Do not be afraid. And if you invite the Lord Jesus to meet with you, if you ask him in a simple prayer to meet with you, he will. And not only will he meet with you, he will bring that gospel light, that gospel truth, that gospel peace into your heart. I believe because I experience Christ in my life every day. It's a relationship. I need to talk to him like any relationship. And the more I do that, the more I get to know him, the stronger and the greater confidence I have. Like all relationships, it has ups and downs. But I know that Jesus is true. He is alive. He has conquered death. And he wants you to follow him. If only you invite him into your life, believe in him, and allow him to change you and to give you hope, even in the midst of death. Let's pray. Father God, we just pray that you may speak to each one of us. For those of us, Lord Jesus, who believe in you, encourage us in our faith that we may celebrate the happy day that this day remembers, Easter Sunday. A day that was going to be a day of anointing a dead body becomes a day of worshipping at the feet of a risen Saviour. May we be encouraged by this message. May we carry the message into our families and into this world that Jesus is alive. But Father, if we've yet to receive that message into our hearts, Lord Jesus, if we've yet to open our hearts to you and receive you as our Lord and Saviour, we just ask you, Lord Jesus, to speak to us right now, to, to challenge us, to encourage us, to believe in you, and to receive the peace, the hope, the joy and the happiness that comes through knowing you as our Lord and as our Saviour. Lord Jesus, you have conquered death. You rose again and even now stand at the right hand of the Father. Lord Jesus, come into our lives. Bring your light, bring your joy, bring your peace, bring your hope and bring real faith in you. We ask Lord Jesus in your name. Amen.